What are some of your greatest fears? I'm looking for ideas here. Heights. I'm with you in that one. Yeah. Heights. How many? How many? It's heights. You want to switch back? Okay. Try this one. Oh. I sound more like God with this one. <laughs> Whatever God sounds like, I don't know. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. <clears throat> uh, what are some other fears? Economic insecurity. Yeah. Spiders, arachnophobia. Snakes, snakes, yeah. Anybody claustrophobic? Elevators, yeah. What's that? MRI machines, that can be a tough one for some people. Warren? Fear of heights, yeah. Um, clowns, what about cholerophobia? Yeah, my daughter, my son, they do not like clowns. Um, are you familiar with this one, bananophobia? Bananophobia? I'm just pronouncing it different. It's bananaphobia. Isn't that weird? A fear of banana? I mean, are you afraid you're going to be attacked by a giant banana or what it is? Uh, telephonophobia, t talking on the phone. I imagine a good number of you, glossophobia, the fear of public speaking, talking in front of people. Yeah. A lot of fears. And then, of course, there's thanatophobia, the fear of death. Thanatos, death. Theophobia. Theophobia. What's that? The fear of God. An irrational fear of God. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about a rational, biblical, healthy fear of God and what that should look like and why it should be a part of our lives and why the person who truly does fear the Lord, experiences God's blessing. And so for the reading of Scripture, let's stand together for Psalm 128. <clears throat> Psalm 128, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will look like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Please be seated. <clears throat> so let's begin just by thinking about what is, what exactly is the fear of the Lord when you see that phrase and you find that phrase a lot in the scriptures Fear the Lord, fear God. Uh, what is it? Well, we begin with the definition of fear, pretty basic, to be afraid of some, someone or something. That's what fear is. To have a reverential awe of someone or something is the second definition of fear. And so some synonyms for fear, uh, dread, fright, terror, trepidation, trepidation, trembling, we sang a song this morning that talked about trembling before the Lord, uh, alarm, concern, unease. And then the last word, the last synonym is awe. Um, by the way, does anyone know what the word fear means in the Bible? Fear. When you see the word fear in the Bible, 
some people will try to try to sort of you know downplay it. Well, it doesn't really mean fear. Yeah, it really does. It means fear. Um, some in the Bible were so overcome with fear that they couldn't talk. Some in the Bible were so overcome with fear that they fell down as if dead. Um, and so it means to be afraid. When you see the word fear in the Bible, there is an element of being afraid, frightened, dread, trepidation. Some degree of terror or trembling is going on. And also, and especially, a very heavy sense of awe. Um, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we have to talk about the concept of awe, A-W-E. And again, in our culture, the true meaning of the word awe is little understood. I mean, everything, and everything that we experience is awesome, right? Everybody's awesome. We uh, use it to describe something that's wonderful, something that we think is just amazing. From a performance at the Fox, that was such an awesome production of Les Mis, to your kindergartner's performance at their holiday concert. Honey, you were so awesome. Uh, from a spectacular sunset over Lake Michigan, of course, to a hot fudge sundae. Oh, that was the most awesome sundae I've ever had. You know, we use the word awesome in so many ways in our culture that we've basically stripped it of its meaning. So definitions of the word awe, an emotion in which dread, veneration, and wonder are variously mingled. So think about that. An emotion in which dread, veneration, and wonder are variously mingled. Submissive and admiring fear inspired by authority. And so you stand before a person with great authority and power, and there should be a sense, there will be a sense of awe before that person. A fearful reverence inspired by deity. And so a common definition of the fear of God is reverential awe. The fear of God is reverential awe. Awe, and keep in mind the definitions of awe. <clears throat> we say reverential because it indicates that this sense of awe is specifically directed toward God. You're not directing it at, at, at another person or something in the world. You're actually directing it toward God. <clears throat> so let's, let's think about an example. Imagine driving across I-70 toward Columbia on a, on a humid spring day, and the sky begins to grow dark and threatening, and suddenly you spot a tornado out on the horizon. It's spinning its way toward you. It's lifting houses and barns and its paths, destroying everything. And immediately you feel a gripping sense of awe that includes not just fear for your own safety, but a sense of wonder and amazement at the power of this storm. But it's not reverential awe, not yet. The tornado passes by at a safe distance from where you're at, and you begin to think of the hand of God behind that tornado, that the roaring and the twisting was just a small yet extremely impressive display of God's power. Now your awe has turned from awe to reverential awe. 
And maybe you might even think of Psalm 135, verse 7. He it is who made the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. That's reverential awe. There's a mixture of fear and veneration and wonder and admiration, but it's all directed toward God. And so while there are many facets to the fear of God, at the base of it all, there is this profound sense of awe toward God that gives the motivation and the force behind everything else having to do with the fear of the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson makes the distinction between servile fear and filial fear. Um, Servile fear, he writes, is the kind of fear which a slave would feel towards a harsh and unyielding master. John Bunyan, in his treatise on the fear of God, points to the devil as the author of this servile fear. Bunyan said the devil uses it to haunt and to disturb Christians and to make our lives uncomfortable. Servile fear is not not settling at all. Servile fear is cracking a whip and causing causing, causing you tremendous ill ease. Whereas filial fear says Ferguson, is the loving fear of a child toward the father, toward his father. Ferguson describes it as that indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. Servile fear, filial fear. Now, when you think about fear, We generally think of it exclusively as an emotion, right? We think of it as a feeling, something that that sort of overtakes you. And so is the fear of God strictly emotional, or is the fear of God also an attitude or a perspective? Well, biblically, it would seem to be both. It would seem to be both. There are most definitely feelings that that you see in, say, Moses at the burning bush or or uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, where, where he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the angels, holy, 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 as the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and so in the scriptures, you find an emotion of fear, feeling of awe. Um, but it also seems to be an attitude or a perspective. Um, the fear of God will most definitely stir your soul. The Bible talks about experiencing fear with trembling. That combination is found quite a bit in the scriptures. Uh, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What an interesting mix. Serve the Lord with fear. Think about who it is that you're serving and rejoice with trembling. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Psalm 119, my flesh trembles for fear of you. Isaiah 66, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is, this is the Lord speaking, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. 
And so with those verses, I see a combination of emotion and attitude or perspective toward God. One who is humble and contrite in spirit and one who trembles at the word of God. <clears throat> there should be times, brothers and sisters, when you're reading, in the, reading God's word and thinking about God where a sense of overwhelming awe overtakes you. Maybe even where you sort of tremble inside, realizing who it is that you're dealing with. So that's what the fear of the Lord is. Now, let's think about why should I fear God? Why? Why should you and I have this as a motivating force in our lives? Well, first of all, because it's commanded. It's commanded. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. And so to fear the Lord is for my good, and we'll get to that in a minute, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Deuteronomy 6, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Deuteronomy 10, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. And Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so it's commanded. I should fear God because it's a command. Secondly, it's the right and sensible thing to do. It just makes sense, friends. It just makes sense. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. It's the right and sensible thing to do, to fear God. I mean, think about it. You fear a blazing forest fire, but you don't fear God who is described as a consuming fire. You fear a roaring lion, but you don't fear the lion of Judah. You fear the tornado or the hurricane, but not the God who determines and directs its course and its path. You fear cancer, but not the God who created each and every cell in your body. You fear death, but you don't fear the one who overcame death and conquered it for you by rising from the dead. You fear man for what he might possibly do to you. You fear, you fear people, but you don't fear God for what he could most definitely do to you. The fear of the Lord just makes sense. But then also, tied in with that, it's, just, it's not safe not to fear God. It's not safe not to. I mean, not fearing God is the most irrational posture that a person could possibly take in life. There's nothing more nonsensical to me than not fearing God. It doesn't make sense not to fear God. If you're a rational person, I mean, it's boggling to my mind that people can live out all of their days, even to their final breath, with no sense of fear at the prospect of meeting their creator and their judge. Do you recall what the penitent thief said to the criminal who was hanging on the cross next to him? Do you not fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a somber warning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You all familiar with C.S. Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Imagine you've all read it or been exposed to parts of it. In that book, one of the children, Lucy, asks Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan the lion. She asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Is your God safe? You see, it's no longer religiously correct to speak of fearing God. It's no longer politically or religiously correct to talk about the judgment of God or his impending wrath. When people today talk about God's unconditional love, they often mean he just simply overlooks or ignores our sinful behaviors. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls, and he would never judge anyone. That in his grace and his mercy, God allows himself to be our rock of refuge, the one to whom we run and hide, the one who protects and delivers us from the storm, the one who holds us as a mother holds the infant, as a father comforts the the fearful child. And yet in our thinking about God, we've tried to make him completely safe. And brothers and sisters, I believe in so doing, we've forgotten that he is a consuming fire. And we have seen what a consuming fire does to everything in its path over the past couple of weeks. The scriptures caution us to worship him with reverence and awe. Hebrews 12. No, God is not safe, but he's good. And I believe we need to keep both of these truths before us if we're to understand the fear of God. And so as a result, the next on the, on the list of why you should fear God, because it's for my good. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. I think most of us want to do things for our good. You did things this week for your good. I got my flu shot yesterday for my good. We do things all the time for our good. God knows we do lots of things to our own harm, but God wants to spare us from this. And so he tells us very clearly what will be for our good. And he says... Fearing me is for your good. Having a healthy, reverential fear of me, your creator and your judge and your savior and your Lord is for your good. It will affect your days. It will affect the decisions you make. It will affect how you live your life. 
God is a good God, only wants good for his children. I only want good for my kids. I mean, there has never been even a moment, I can say categorically, there has never been a moment in my life as a parent when I wanted harm for any of our children. And God has never wanted harm for his sons and daughters. God only wants good for us. And therefore, when he says, Fear the Lord, fearing the Lord is for your good, then I need to take him at his word. And as a result, lastly, it brings God's favor. Psalm 33, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Do you want God's eye to be on you? Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I want the angel of the Lord encamping around me. Third on your outline, what if I don't fear the Lord? Well, I see three primary reasons as to why people don't fear God. There may be some subcategories underneath these, and you can sort of think, think about this as you, as you ponder these thoughts this week. But I see three primary reasons that probably capture all of the subcategories. First of all, because they just simply don't know. These would be the ignorant. Ignorant, not used in a derogatory fashion, but simply they just don't know. <clears throat> There's a passage in... Um, 2 Kings 17. Let me read it. It's not up on the screen. <clears throat> the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. This was after the exile. God has exiled all of, uh, all of his people. And uh, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvim, cities of Syria, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel are taken out, and the king, the king of Assyria brings other people in to inhabit the towns. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. At the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Now, get this. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Just kind of a warning sign. You're in my land, and I need you to understand that I am the God of this land. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations you've carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of this land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. So the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, bring him back, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of their God. So one of the priests whom they had carried away into exile from Samaria came back and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. They were ignorant. They didn't know that this was God's land. And so God sent a priest to teach them. And so that's the one reason, the first reason, they don't know. There are people who don't know. Secondly, there are people who don't believe Maybe they know, but they don't believe. They're unregenerate. It's only through conversion and the regenerating work of God that any of you in this room fear God. It's only by the, by the grace of God that you have a holy fear of God in your heart. You have to think about, you know, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace, my fear is relieved. God's not safe 
but he's good. I see those two in that, in that phrase from Amazing Grace. They don't believe. They're unregenerate. And then thirdly, they just don't care. There's a group of people on the face of the earth. They don't care. And that would be the fool. For me, Romans 1 is one of the most revealing, descriptive, disturbing exposés of man's condition and God's wrath. Uh, It says this, Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In other words, all people have to do is look at the tornado, look at the sun, look at the Milky Way, look at creation. All people have to do is look and see my power, God says. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, so they weren't ignorant, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. What does the fool say in his heart? There is no God. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Those are the people who just don't care. Romans 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes. John Murray wrote these words in his book, Principles of Conduct. It is the essence of impiety or ungodliness not to be afraid of God when there is reason to be afraid. The scriptures throughout prescribe the scripture throughout prescribes the necessity of this fear of God under all the circumstances in which our sinful situation makes us liable to God's righteous judgment. And I think of the Pharaoh of Egypt as a classic example of that. He just didn't care. God sent plague after plague after plague, turns water into blood, sends the frogs, sends the gnats, the flies, the livestock die. People break out with boils. God sends hail. And Moses said to the Pharaoh, I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. You see, friends, it's one thing to be ignorant of God's judgments and power. It is another thing entirely to be confronted with God's power and judgments and still have no fear. So I see those as some of the reasons why people don't fear the Lord, and I would certainly hope that would not be true of any of us in this room. And so the last question that I want to throw to you is, well, then, if I, am to, if I am to fear the Lord, how? How can I grow in fearing God? And in his excellent book, which I would com- recommend to you, The Joy of Fearing God, Jerry Bridges, write it down. Jerry Bridges is the author, The Joy of Fearing God. Sounds, sounds kind of like an interesting combination, doesn't it? The extreme joy of fearing God. But he does an excellent job laying it out. And he, he gives some suggestions that I want to 
just give you here at the end and, and just elaborate briefly on. First of all, he says, ask God for it. Ask God to give you, give you a heart that fears him. Ask God to give you a desire to fear him. Lord, I want to fear you. I want to learn what it means to fear you. Give me an understanding of what it means. Ask for God's spirit to engender within you a reverential fear of God. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord. This is a prayer of David. That I may walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart means give me a heart of integrity to fear your name. An integer heart, a whole number heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. Pull all the corners of my heart together to have great reverential awe toward you. Ask God. Make that a prayer. That's a, that's a prayer that God will honor. Secondly, hear. How can I grow in fearing God? By hearing. The fear of the Lord comes in part from hearing. Did you know that the average person hears between twenty and 30,000 words a day? which is between 150 and 200,000 words a week. Therefore, in the midst of all those words that you're hearing, you need to hear a clear word from God in the midst of all those words every week. You need to hear however many words are in a weekly message. You need to hear a clear word from God. This is why I've told you that you need to be with the gathered church every week. And I don't need to tell you all that this morning because you're the ones who are here. Why you should not allow for other things to take its place. Just don't let other things take its place because you need to hear in order to fear. You need to hear good, biblically grounded, God-exalting, Christ-honoring, sin-exposing, heart-convicting sermons if you're going to grow in a reverential awe of God. You need some good, God-fearing preaching. God-fearing teaching. And I hope you understand. You, all of you who know me and know West Hills, you know that when we're talking about God-fearing preaching and God-fearing teaching, we're talking about it biblically wrapped, wrapped so powerfully in the grace and mercy and goodness and, and graciousness and kindness of God. The fear of God fits with the gospel. The fear of God is right there with Christ on the cross. So you need to hear Deuteronomy 4, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Psalm 34, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thirdly, read. Read. When God uh, told the people of Israel that one day they would be asking for a king just so they could be like all the other nations around them, God said of the king, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes. 
And so you read, you read the scriptures and you learn to fear the Lord. You learn to love the Lord. You learn to trust the Lord. You learn to honor the Lord. You fall in love with the Lord. And you fear him. John Bunyan, in his book, The Fear of God, the fear of God flows from a sound impression that the word of God makes on our souls. For without an impress of the word, and I, I picture like a, uh, you know, those stamps where you can kind of stamp something into a piece of clay and leave an impress. A sound impression that the word of God makes on our souls. For without an impress of the word, there is no fear of God. For as to the extent a man drinks good doctrine into his soul, so to that extent he fears God. So he's saying there's a correlation. There's a correlation between what you do with this and what's happening to the impress upon your soul. Is it just the things of the world that are impressing your soul? Is it just the stock market that's impressing your soul? Is it just uh, what's happening in the Middle East that's impressing your soul? Is it just tr President Trump that's impressing your soul? Is it, is it just politics that's impressing your soul? Or are you intentionally impressing your soul with the Word of God? To the extent a man drinks good doctrine into his soul, to that extent he fears God. If he drinks in much, he fears him greatly. If he drinks in little, he fears him little. If he drinks not at all, he fears him not at all. Great statement. Great, great statement. Tied in with the first three, fourth on the list, study. Jerry Bridges writes, Bible reading gives us breadth. Bible study gives us depth. Bible reading gives us breadth. Bible study gives us depth. And I would just simply say to you all West Hillians or West Hillites or whatever you, you know, this is the value of establishing the discipline of attending one of our Bible classes each week. We have good Bible teachers, excellent Bible facilitators. In the class setting with other believers, you're given the opportunity to go into the deeps. Bible study takes you into the deeps, Okay. Bible reading can kind of keep you in the shallows. Bible study takes you into the deeps. You grapple with God's word with other believers. They ask questions. You say, yeah, that's a great question. You, you, you wrestle with it. I mean, for our spiritual forefathers and mothers, it was just a given that you studied the scriptures. And then when opportunities were given for God's people to gather with other believers to study the scriptures, I was there. You were there with other believers to study the Bible. And so if this isn't your habit, I would just encourage you in the new year, which is just a few weeks away, I would encourage you along these lines. If you want to grow in the fear of the Lord, then you need to be studying the scriptures. And for parents, for you parents, this is imperative for your kids if they're going to learn to fear the Lord their God. And then the last on the list, think. That just simply means it's going to take effort on your part. God has done his part. God's given you his word. God has given you his Holy Spirit. Now there is an effort part for you and me. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Training requires effort. 
For while bodily training is of some value, he's not knocking bodily training, but he's putting it in perspective. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. And what that looks like for me, friends, is whether I'm in the Word or whether I'm outdoors looking at the, looking at the clouds or whether I'm just in some quiet moments, I try to carve out times when I just simply think about God. Because if you don't find those times where you make yourself think about God, you're going to be thinking about so many things this week. Your mind will just be filled up with things to think about. If, you, if you're not intentional in thinking about God's power, God's majesty, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's judgment, God's wrath, God's mercy, God's kindness, forbearance, patience, love, your heart and your soul will not be impressed. And so I commend you, always read first the Word of God. Read it first and foremost. But I also commend you, immerse yourself in the writings of others. Immerse yourselves in the writings of a John Bunyan and a Jonathan Edwards and John Owen and Charles Spurgeon and J.I. Packer and John Stott and R.C. Spruill and Piper and Ferguson and Schaefer and Tozer. And find your favorites and immerse yourself. Read. We are a non-reading culture. So ask God. Hear the word. Read the word. Study the word. Think on God and you will grow in the fear of the Lord. Let me conclude with this. Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Pray with me. Our Lord and our God, It is a good thing for us to think on these things. We thank you, Lord, for being one who is worthy to be feared, to be revered. We may never be given the experience of an Isaiah to see the Lord seated on his throne, literally. But Lord, we're able to see you seated on your throne in our mind and in our heart and in the scriptures every day.
every day. Every day we can behold your glory. Every day we can see all the fullness of God displayed in Christ. Every day we can tremble. We behold everything there is to know about you in the scriptures. The Spirit of God teaches us and reveals things to us that are marvelous, wonderful, fearful. And these things are ours. For all who have trusted in Christ, the fear of God is a wonderful thing. So I pray for myself, for my family, my children, my wife, my grandchildren. I pray for my church family, whom I love, that you would give us the fear of the Lord. That it would determine the trajectory of our lives. That it would direct our steps. That we would actually find the joy of fearing God to be real for us. Father God, it is a fearful thing that you would send your son beyond our ability to comprehend that you would send the Lord Jesus to live among us, to suffer for us, to die instead of us. And so as we honor the Lord Jesus today with the bread and the cup, we do so in worship and with a sense of awe. The cross fills us with awe. You're a great and wonderful God. We love you because you have loved us. We pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people agreed by saying,